This is Monocle on Design, a show where we explore everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we look at how the design scene in Ukraine has responded to Russia's invasion and the ongoing conflict there. We talk to the Architecture Council of Europe and meet with the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the Kharkiv School of Architecture, an institution that's opted to stay despite offers to move abroad. Plus, we meet a brand championing Ukrainian heritage and Kyiv-based architect Slava Balbek. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. The Architects' Council of Europe, or ACE, is a non-profit composed of 43 member organisations, typically the national professional architecture bodies in European countries. A key part of ACE's mission is fostering cross-border cooperation between architects, an ambition that's come to the fore in recent months. At the outbreak of war, it established a special task force called European Architects to Ukraine. Heading up this team is Ruta Leitonite, an ACE board member and president of the Architects Association of Lithuania. She explained how the task force was established and how it's now supporting architects in Ukraine. At ACE, I think it was the second or third day of the war when we started our discussion on how ACE can contribute to the help to Ukrainian people and architects. We had issued a statement condemning the Russian aggression towards Ukraine, but also we were thinking on how can we collect the knowledge and to coordinate our health better. So the creation of the task force group was really a natural thing. The aim of this group is to find the ways to help Ukrainian people and also Ukrainian architects, because we are the society of architects. We are reaching out for the colleagues and trying to help them as the professionals. And as well, we are thinking on how to help the people who lost their homes, who lost their jobs, who are losing the quality of environment in their country. So we are working on different levels of the strategy, deciding how can we help. So the strategy is uh, aimed to Ukrainian architects and uh, towards Ukrainian people. And we have certain ideas on short-term actions and long-term actions that are quite different. At first, of course, the, the most urgent need was to help the ones who are fleeing the war. So connecting them with the families that can accept the people running from the war in our countries. But that was happening already without our help. So what we concentrated ourselves on was to create a certain hub on information to help the architects of Ukraine who are searching for the job connect them with the people in European countries who can offer the job. So there are two types of Ukrainian architects who are fleeing the country and they are searching for the job in European countries. But also a lot of architects are staying in Ukraine and they are searching for some commission. So right now we are collecting various initiatives from different countries, but in the future we are considering creating very comfortable and very easy to use uh, informational hub to help connect those people. We are developing uh, certain ideas on how can we help the people who are suffering from war. So we are trying to expand our circle of experts who have the expertise on dealing with war situation, which is assessment of the buildings that are damaged during the war 
and also in designing temporary shelter for people who need them. Persons from Ukraine, and I think that the most important organization here is Ukrainian Union of Architects, which is helping us to connect with the, with the architects that are working there. Regarding the Ukrainian architects that are staying in Ukraine and they are searching for commissions, these are commissions that help them to survive, to get some money, to buy them food, just to try to live some normal life. Because as you can imagine, in Ukraine, every building site had stopped and the project were stopped. So those people who were, you know, engaged as an architect, right now they are somehow like jobless people. So we are helping them to find some commission in European countries. But also uh, we are aware of Ukrainian initiatives that are directly related with the building temporary shelters, but also they are already thinking about the rebuilding of their country in the future once the war is over. Nobody doubts that Ukraine will win this war. The question is when, and Ukrainian architects are working very hard and they are very active in uh, drafting visions on how to rebuild Ukraine and we want to be together with them and to offer our contacts and knowledge and expertise in that. My thanks to Rutalay tonight there. Founded in 2017, the Kharkiv School of Architecture is one of Ukraine's leading design institutions and, until the outbreak of war, had called its namesake city home. However, heavy shelling from the Russian military in February forced the school to relocate to the western city of Lviv. Here, its Deputy Vice-Chancellor, Irina Matsevko, has been hard at work establishing a semi-permanent base for the institution with students and faculty returning to classes and the school making plans for its eventual return to Kharkiv. To find out more about this process of moving and hopefully returning, Monocle's Carolina Abbott-Galval spoke to Matt Sevko. Tell us why you established an architecture school in Kharkiv and how, with war seemingly looming at the start of the year, you began to prepare for potential conflict. The sad reason was that Kharkiv has really big historical background of architecture. So the best modernist projects were fulfilled there. So this is the city of modernism. It was a city of the example of Soviet modernism approach. And actually it's a very known Soviet modernist project. Also, this link uh, very, very important uh, for our school. That is why the school is in Kharkiv, not in Kyiv or other big uh, cities and, and, and centers. Yeah, before the war, when the situation was already tense, uh, we decided to prepare ourselves and prepare our students to a very complicated situation. And we have uh, uh, meetings and, and workshops. We have meetings with representatives of National Guards. And we talked very openly about war, just what to do. When it's happened, you know, because if you don't have experience, you, you don't have any ideas. So it was very, very hard, uh, hard talk, but we learned a lot. We had also talk uh, and with psychologists who teach us how to shape, uh, how to take your energy, how to relax, how to calm down. And we also have the workshop of um, emergency medical ads 
to know what to do when somebody is wounded or injured. So you were preparing mentally and I guess physically too. And I understand before Russia invaded, you also sent your students home. So with such a tactile discipline like architecture, what was the benefit to shifting to online education in this context? We made this decision to send them online. And uh, actually it was the right decision because we were not responsible for evacuating students because they were already with their families. And we have students from Kharkiv, but most of them are not from Kharkiv. So they were with, with their families. When war started, um, our team and, and staff um, also made their own decision because it's it's decision of family, not only uh, um, our decision to uh, to to flat from from Kharkiv. Um, for the time being, almost all our staff uh, is um, out of of Kharkiv. Just two persons left still are in, in in Kharkiv, and it's their decision to be there. What is really great for me, as for my manager of the school, is very. I'm very happy that almost all our team. Uh, stay with us and now we are located in, in Lviv. So this is very close to western border. This is actually more than 1,000 kilometers from Kharkiv. You made the decision to then move the school to Lviv. How long did it take for you to realize that you might have to have an extended stay in the city? In three weeks, we realized that it's unfortunately for a longer time. And we made two decisions. First decision, very important, and we put it as a statement on our website, that we stay in Ukraine, our teachers, our faculties, our administration, and our students, because it's very important to be here. We are very grateful for European countries uh, and United States who offer our students and teachers uh, grants, fellowships. But we should keep together intellectual forces here because in future we should reconstruct, we should think about new reality, we should, we should shape our new reality and we need intellectuals here to do this. We even were really afraid of this uh, brain drain because a lot of uh, educated people and also students uh, went abroad uh, uh, and uh, we will see. I believe that um, they will come, come back, but not all of them. But we need now really educated people to deal with this new reality and to, um, to shape this new, new reality. So it was really very strict our statement that we are here, we don't leave. I guess everyone's hoping that architects aren't part of that brain drain. So with this in mind, how important are architects going to be in, in the rebuilding process? It's extremely important. You know, we are even, you know, joking with, with our colleague that uh, uh, when before for our admission company, we had to explain why architecture is so important, what's their role in society. So now it's even we don't need to explain it to people because everyone understands it. It's extremely important and it's also extremely important to gain new knowledge. And for Ukraine, uh, also, there are two important things. We never experienced war. And um, so we don't have experience and also knowledge about how to deal with post-war city. 
So it means that we should learn it, gain new knowledge about, about this. And actually, our school now, we are working on a, a new bachelor program for this uh, new semester. We already work and develop the new bachelor program, which will be adjust to these new challenges and needs of our society. And actually, here we have great intellectual support of our colleagues from abroad who, who deal with this, who have experience with this. So, and it's very important important that we we will be really the institution which will develop a very sophisticated program and really give students this knowledge which we urgently need in Ukraine now. I'm curious as well as to what you think that rebuilding process might look like in Ukraine. Ukraine is still in this transition period from post-Soviet to a new state. In this situation, unfortunately, we will um, we will start from the very beginning, from blind scratch. You know, when 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 cities are destroyed, when everything is destroyed, and this is also the chance for us to rethink our 30 years of our independence and also rethink our approaches and standards to our life, approaches to postmodern city, how to organize this uh, involving different uh, stakeholders and actors in the process of rethinking. We even don't use the word rebuilding because it's very dangerous. You know, we can't rebuild the past. It's wrong way. So if we're not rebuilding the past, but making a new future, what does that look like in Ukraine? You know, it's a very hard question because the situation is changing every day. And we are, on the one hand, we already get used to it. On the other hand, if we go from this global scale to the local scale to, to our school, you know, one day we make some decision and next day something changing and we change our decision. It's very, very hard to already to have this vision of our future but for me it's very important uh, when the war is over not hurry to make some decisions which are really urgent and temporary and this is uh, the chance for for ukraine to rethink ourselves who we are where we are where we want to go what examples we would apply for and also to put it in our local local context this is very long-term process my thanks to irena matsevko there those looking to support her work at the Kharkiv School of Architecture can donate via its website at kharkiv.school. Gunia Projects is a fashion and design brand which specialises in using traditional Ukrainian techniques and technologies. It works with artisans to produce objects and accessories to appeal to contemporary audiences. The raising of key cultural buildings and museums across Ukraine means that now, more than ever, the preservation of the nation's rich culture and craft is key. We spoke to Maria Gavriluk and Natasha Kamienska, co-founders of the brand, to find out more. Our main idea now is that we want to share and talk about the beauty of Ukraine. My name is Maria Gavriluk. For years and years people didn't know anything about Ukraine and all the ideas was connected to you know, Chernobyl, to the war in Ukraine, to something really difficult and really negative. Ukraine is a country with a huge history, with lots of beautiful things, with lots of 
amazing techniques and artisans and people. I know that we are so in love with what we do, not only because we are Ukrainians, but because there is amazing things like this embroidery towels, they are, I don't know, mind-blowing. Originally, I'm from West Ukraine, and West Ukraine has this reputation that's a part of uh, a saving tradition. All family should know your tradition and roots. But even me, I was like small knowledge about how deep it is. I'm Natasha Kamenska. In my mind, it was just some uh, post-Soviet Union picture of Ukrainian tradition, really poor uh, image. In 2017, I was starting to explore Ukrainian tradition, Ukrainian culture, and it was like a big surprise for me that it's so deep, so unexplored for myself. And so I was like screaming to everyone, ah, do you know this? Please have a look. And so I was like, like jumping on a marsh with all these emotions. And like we started with a just drop collection and it was scarf, silk scarf collection. My favorite one uh, as a technique is gutta glass. Uh, it's a glass making technique that used to be in Ukraine from uh, 16th century. It was like a family tradition because one uh, um, glass maker he uh, taught his uh, uh, children to make this uh, glass, and there was like hundreds of these ovens all over Ukraine. But now it's left only three of them, and uh, this technology is uh, dying. There is no young people who want to get this knowledge of how to make this glass. There is a huge problem with, um, I don't know, standard ideas that when you're working with your hands and when you're artisans, you can't learn as much money as you can do when you're, I don't know, IT. Uh, <laughs> when you're working IT or in a, in a store or shop. So people, they choose simpler jobs because they are absolutely sure that it's easier in life. So that's why there is lots of hand techniques that are slowly dying. By the technology, it's all the same as uh, Murana glass. We had the same technology in Ukraine with lots of absolutely talented masters with great masterpieces, but nobody talks about it. And even Ukrainian people, they didn't know that there is such a technology. We are working a lot with this glass making. For us, it's a huge part of history and we want to do everything to make this uh, technology staying alive. When Ukraine was a part of Soviet Union, the Russian government was trying to just erase everything about real culture, to erase uh, this culture knowledge. When you knew your roots, you're like one, um, one people in one country. So there is, was that time and there is what they're doing now. They're trying to not just bombing and ruin, they're just trying to kill all, all of this culture stuff that just now starting to like uh, growing nice. up. For us it's really important to keep uh, going to save Ukrainian culture and knowledge about this culture.
and save all these techniques because now it's a really, really huge problem. My thanks to Maria Gavriluk and Natasha Kamienska, co-founders of Gunia Projects. Finally on the show, we return to architecture to meet Slava Balbek. He's the founder of Balbek Bureau, a design studio of 75 people based in Kyiv that works on projects across the globe. Since the outbreak of war, Balbek and his team have been hard at work, fulfilling existing commitments to projects in the US, while also developing programs like RE Ukraine, which provides a model for temporary housing that's comfortable and life-affirming for displaced Ukrainians. I was joined by Balbek down the line to talk about the conflict's impact on his practice and his hopes for the eventual rebuilding of Ukraine. I mean, to start, I want to ask what it's like, you know, being an architect when your city is being invaded. What, what are the first steps you take when, when this happens? It's pretty organic, you know. The first of all is going your instincts to stay safe, to get your family and friends to some uh, hideouts or something like this. And then afterwards, when you solve your like priority tasks, then, then you just, for me, it was like a two weeks to understand that I'm just, okay, now it's, it's more or less stable so I can help some anyway, like, because the first days I was just, as I said, I was a volunteer in driving and uh, helping evocation people uh, know any skills of design skills and architect skills were helping me. So <laughs> it was basic things, carrying the heavy things, uh, driving a car, connect people and something like this. Only so, after this, when I just, yeah, when I realized that actually I'm an architect as well, so I should uh, do something this direction too. And I guess just building on that, I want to ask about doing something in that architectural direction. So once your family and friends are in in safer locations, how did you lean into your design skills? The first thing is analysis. Uh, So any of problem or like situation, you just need to understand what, what is the resources with whom you can do something or what you can do it because it's everything is about the resources of the people who will you work with so we categorize the guys who is in trouble now who need to be helped uh, who is safe who can continue working what is their logistics for example we did, we deliver the from office notebooks or pc we just deliver across the ukraine for somebody who is able to work but they just left kiev without anything you know so the personal staff or working computers something like this we divide all the guys for the guys who are able to work and who is unable to work okay no problem just be in touch tell us where are you how are you can how we can help you and the guys who is to work it was the first part of our processes. The other thing, we just went through all of our project with our clients and managers. It was an analysis work, just where are you? What is going on? Will you able to continue working on this? Or you just make a pause? Or you need to some time to understand this? Because, for example, partly our architects just went to the territorial defense or the military defense. So some of them, I think like 20 people just go to volunteering with me actually for the food project. We, we gathered 25 restaurants and we are cooking, preparing meals daily, like, and this group, some of them like coordinator of the volunteers drivers. So architecture is not the first place, the work and business, not in the first place. So it sounds like you were quite fluid as a, as a team in this time. And I understand that some of you did set about working on, on creating a new housing model for people living in Ukraine. It's called RE Ukraine. Can you tell us a little bit about your ambition with this project? The main aim of this project was to remain dignity way of life. So 
that's why we we took ourselves through like up to 25 different refugee houses projects all over Europe and we are trying to define what should be the comfort living it shouldn't be just a like shipping container where you're living 24 hours a day it should be much more so I just set it myself there how can I spend like a year in a temporary house so that's why we just double up all the norms and rules and the codes uh, for the comfort level the quantity of the restrooms the like common space we saw that almost all of these refugee houses that we saw has no any of common space it just a corridor and the living slots and then you go either outside or you're staying in this 10 square meters space with all your family it's uh, impossible to live there impossible to stay there even for a weekend you know and i guess just building on this i understand that a lot of people moved to the west of the country when russia invaded is this where you see these buildings you know and these temporary housing options being established and our point for now for all of these projects, that this project should set it up beside the bombed city. It shouldn't be there somewhere across. This is a little bit like, you know, so, so local, uh, a little bit bigger question, not a design. This is more about the social question because we had so many talks with the people because I, as a volunteer driver, I went through all of the key of uh, region because we were delivering the food and the meals and the humanitarian help and we speak with the guys who lost a family who's lost homes who is living on the neighbor's house almost all of them has the same meaning about this they said we don't want to go through all of the ukraine to live safe like in a 500 kilometers we want to live beside if you will build up this refugee houses please manage it to build it up beside the city because we will wait there until the government will fix their fences their repaint their houses just fix the glasses and then we will shortly come back because we need to have this neighbors connection friends connection we don't want to lose this units you know this is the the thing that i didn't thought on the first level because i thought this will be like a far away project somewhere you know in the fields or somewhere in the western part in the safe part of ukraine but when i start connecting with these people who is going to live there i just got the other thing that they don't want to move far they rather chose to stay somewhere beside their living home so this is a good experience it's a good fact experience I mean, you talked there about wanting this temporary or, or relief housing to be set up next to where people are already living. Why do you think people want to be in their city or near their city when the rebuilding is happening? It's a super strict answer. First, they want to be close to their homes and to their friends because not everybody left. So I know well the grannies who is living in this bombed house and she just don't want to go from there. She said, I'm fine here. I went through a few wars already, so I don't want to leave. And it's hundreds of stories like this. The family who has like half of house was demolished, but they said, the health is fine, so we will live there. <laughs> it's fine for us. We will wait. And, and they making the bricks and they're just repairing by themselves. So they don't want to lose this to their neighborland, you know, and their friends who still live there. So that's why all of the guys who is living there right now in this even butcher, they're doing every daily work. So they rebuilding, repairing, clean up the streets. That's the connection in between Ukrainians. They're helping each other. So how can they be remoted 
from their homes, what they're, they're doing there, sitting on the like bench and looking, admiring their nature. No, it's not the way of living. When you went through this uh, hell, you know, so it's, it's a super straight They don't want to lose their space there. They don't want to lose the connection. And I guess just finally, I, w- I want to ask you personally what role you want to play in, in the rebuilding of Kiev and, and your country more broadly. You know, this is the really big question of the global strategy. Of course, I want to be part of this. Of course, I can help with all of my professional skills and skills of my team. But for now, I know well that this strategy, it isn't set up yet. So we need to understand where should we participate, how, why this should be like a first priority and the other one, because it depends as well. It should be an analysis, but the analysis you, you can make after when the war will end. So until the, until the cities continue missiles hitting and destroying the infrastructure, so how can you make a prognosis? How you can make a plan if you don't have a technical task for now, it's impossible to set it up. So we don't know the, the level of the destruction of so many cities. We do know that, for example, the Kyiv region, the military forces of uh, Russia left already. And we know what we have with Bucha, Irpin, and so on and so on. And we know how many houses in Kyiv they were bombed. But this is a tiny thing. This is like a plaster, so you just fix it and that's it. It's not a solving problem in a general way. So for now, the strategy should be written with the infrastructure architects, the urban architects, I know so many guys, so many companies, the local group who is working on this as the volunteers, as like their own initiative. And this is super good, but it's not yet like a global thing because it's not so many companies is already get out from the shock, from this, you know, frozen level when they come back to their original practice. It's a little bit state of mind that you can continue working while your your city has been bombed. My thanks to architect Slava Balbek there. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. Today's episode was produced by Charlie Phil McCourt and Maylie Evans, who also edited the show. I'm Nick Manise. Thanks for listening.